Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, keep it coming. I've had a hard week. I'm just kidding. It's good to see you guys. How y'all doing? I am highly caffeinated this morning. I had a terrible sleep last night. And just before we got to church, Brittany asked me, would you like me to get you another coffee? I said, yes, absolutely. She said, what would you like? I said, um, flat white. And she goes, ooh, are you sure you want milk before you get up to speak? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I know what I want. Now, normally I just drink black coffee. But I was like, you know what, I think I'll be all right. She's like, well, I always get a little bit phlegmy when I drink milk. And uh, when I, she used to, you know, worship lead and she, you know, if she drank milk beforehand, it was just, and so now anyways, I'm feeling like that now this morning. So (laughs) forgive me, Uh, honey, I love you so much. You are a genius and I will never not listen to what you say again. (laughs) Maybe don't quote me on that one. (laughs) It's so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I just love this idea of the Nehemiah force. I hope every single person here decides to join in in prayer for six months, this uprising idea. I think it's so exciting. There's, uh, God's doing something in our church and in the city and through the other churches in the city as well. And I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see what happens over the next few months. Um, But Pastor Lauren has been exploring the book of Nehemiah. And uh, has everybody kind of been around for that series? Has somebody heard at least one of those messages? I, I think it's been awesome. The first message that he, he preached that first weekend, Brittany and I were away on vacation in the Okanagan, and it just so happened, just by total coincidence, not really coincidence, that I, I, was, re- I was just finishing reading the book of Nehemiah. And then when we got home the next week, he preached on the text that I was really focusing on. And I was also... Uh, reading at the same time uh, the Gospel of John, and he happened to preach right out of the Gospel of John what I had read that morning. And so I feel like God has been building this message in me for weeks now, and I'm really excited to get it off of my heart and off of my shoulders because it feels like a bit of a burden, so I'm just going (laughs) to So you're going to get some verbal diarrhea this morning, so um, it should be be good. I want everybody to say something good is going to happen. I just do that because I want to judge to see what kind of energy you guys have, and, and uh, so this is good. This is a good start. Okay, I want to give you some, some context to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is actually kind of a two-part book. The book right before it is the book of Ezra. Now, it's separated in our Bibles, but it used to be one completed work written by one author, and I think between the two books, there's some really interesting themes that we see repeated three times. And so I just want to talk to you about that. The book follows three different guys on three different building projects. The book spans about a hundred-year period where each one of these guys leads a group of people back into a ruined and destroyed homeland to rebuild a part of their society. And and there's these, these three key things that happen in each of the stories, and I think it's so cool. So I want to share those things, and they happen to be the points that I'm going to make this morning. So the first thing that comes, the first thing that happens in each of the stories is vision comes from a royal proclamation. So 
So a king sends out a royal proclamation that stirs up hearts, stirs up fire, stirs up passion, and causes God's people to take action on something. So they go, they take action, they start uh, participating in this building project, and then the next thing that happens is there's a really overwhelming opposition that comes against them that threatens to completely derail the whole building project. So that's number two. And then the last thing that happens, big surprise, there's a victory. They overcome the opposition that threatens to derail them. And as I had been reading through the book, and God was really highlighting these things to me, I realized that was exactly what was kind of taking place in my own life. That God had been calling me to a building project. He'd been calling me. He'd been stirring up vision and passion in my heart, but I was facing a bit of resistance. So maybe some of you can uh, empathize or feel like that is going on in your own world as well. So I think the cool thing about reading through the Bible is that we constantly see these patterns that really just represent how life works, right? Like it should be no surprise when we encounter resistance, right? And I think that's why it gets repeated three times in these three cycles with these three different people because it's just kind of how life works. So we don't need to be surprised when things get difficult, but I do like that it is a pretty insightful view of the world. And I think most of all, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is all about overcoming. Right? It's a story that when we read, we can realize that these, this group of people overcame incredible odds, incredible situations. And I think that it's no coincidence that Pastor Lauren decided that, or felt like God was leading him to do this series as we get back into the fall, as we're coming out of summer vacation, and as we're you know, just getting back into work and school and all that kind of stuff, there's no coincidence that this is the season that we need to hear this message. It's about ordinary people, right? Ordinary people doing incredibly fantastic things. And that's good news because I'm just even subpar ordinary person. But it's cool that God uses ordinary people like me and you guys to do really amazing things. So before we dive in, let's just pray together. You guys want to Just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing us together this morning as a family to worship you, to learn from you, and I I pray that you would open our hearts, we would open our minds to receive something from you, to be transformed by your Holy Spirit, and help me to communicate effectively in the time that you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's jump into the first point for those of you that are taking notes that want to go to heaven, um, (laughs) joking. Sort of. (laughs) Take notes. Come on. This is gold. Uh, I hope. Uh, Anyways. The good thing about notes is if you don't like it, you just tear it out of your page, just throw in the garbage and be like, that was terrible. (laughs) Anyways. Okay. So a royal proclamation goes out. That's my first point. A royal proclamation goes out. So let's let's look at one of those from the book of Ezra. And it's in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled a prophecy that he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation into writing and send it through his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you, say any of you. Who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild his temple, the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. 
Wherever the Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver, gold supplies. I just really love it that this pagan king decides that he wants to rebuild the Jewish homeland, rebuild the center of their whole world, Jerusalem, wants to rebuild this temple. And not only that, he just, he just like funds the project, right? Like it's, it seems so weird that like 70 years previous to this, this, this kingdom had actually conquered Israel and Judah and taken them into captivity. And now he's just kind of, hey, guys, go ahead and go home and rebuild everything. And here, take some money with you. It's, it's really amazing. God uses the most weird and unusual situations and people to accomplish his will and his works. The most unlikely of characters, which is good news. Again, for a goofball like me, God uses unlikely characters. And he uses people just like you as well. Not that you're a, a pagan king or anything like that. But in this time in history, like I said, Israel had been conquered. They'd been totally defeated. The center of their, their whole world, their spiritual world, the temple in Jerusalem destroyed, the walls of their city broken down, their spiritual essence, everything had been ripped away from them. And it took 70 years, but a royal proclamation went out to rebuild what was destroyed. And as, as soon as God's people hear this, as soon as it enters into their ears, it fires up passion in their hearts, Right? Again, this king has nothing to do with their religious belief system, not really, and yet he's the one telling them to go rebuild it. And so it it's just stirs up this incredible fire uh, corporately, right? So the, the whole nation begins to be like, oh my gosh, we can go home and rebuild. And... But people also start to get a vision for what their role is in this specific building project. We don't just get a collective vision, we get a personal vision for the future, for what God wants to do. And I I like that the order came from Cyrus, this king, but it actually didn't really come from him, it came from heaven. See, God is always in control of every single situation, no matter how hopeless. No matter who happens to be on the throne, no matter who happens to be the prime minister, no matter who happens to be the president, God is in control of every situation, and he uses every single person to fulfill his work. See, a king was speaking, but really it was the king of kings that was speaking before that. When God wants something done, his word, a proclamation, goes out, and it always empowers us to get the job done, no matter the circumstances. Proclamations from heaven always lead to vision, always. When a proclamation goes out, it's just like fire. When people hear it, they just, something stirs up in them. And we desperately, as a church, as people, we desperately need vision for our lives. We desperately need vision for the church. Vision is to our spirit what oxygen is to our lungs. Without vision, we can't breathe, we can't survive, we start to wither and perish and we fall apart. Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's so true that when we don't have vision in our lives, things begin to fall apart. Vision is the ability to see. And I know what you're thinking. That's deep. (laughs) Okay, vision is the ability to see something that doesn't currently exist. Right? 
Vision is the ability to see a circumstance and realize that that's not actually how things are supposed to be, right? Vision is the ability to see something that hasn't yet manifested on earth. And vision is the ability to be inspired to take action and get after it. Vision helps us see God's game plan for our lives. And a lack of vision in our own lives will always lead to frustration, heartache, discouragement, uh, loneliness, lack of progress, illness, and even death, honest to goodness. Without vision in your life, we just get broken down, right? We have no purpose, no meaning, no goal, no, nothing pushing us forward, nothing driving us when times get tough. Now, I'm not saying that, look, if you've experienced illness, it's because, hey, you didn't have a good vision for your life, and that's why you got sick. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. Not at all. But I do think it's really interesting. There's some really kind of crazy statistics about striving to be happy versus striving to have meaning in your life. And I, so I just want to read a couple of them. So people with, that put the greatest emphasis on being happy reported a 50% less frequent positive emotions than people that are searching for meaning versus searching for happiness. 35% less satisfaction about their life and 75% more depressive symptoms when you're searching for your own personal happiness versus meaning. It's like this little shift, right? That's because, like I said, happiness is feeling good about yourself in a particular moment, but meaning comes from contributing something to others, right? Happiness is inward, meaning is outward. And vision is the key to unlocking meaning in your life. And it's not just any vision, it's a God vision, right? But it's amazing that as we start to walk out the plan and purposes for God, the vision for our own life starts to fall into place as well. It seems like we think that if we start working towards something for somebody else, that means we have to just completely forget about what's going on in our lives. And there's a time for sacrifice. There's a time for sacrifice of your time. There's a time for sacrifices of your finance. There's a time for sacrificing, you know, what you want to do in a particular moment so that you can sacrifice for somebody else. But it's incredible that as you start walking that out, as you start doing it, you will find that things in your own life start to take shape. You will find that feelings of depression and sadness and a lack of forward movement in your own life start to disappear. It's like this incredible positivity starts to rise up in you. So I found also that, that vision will carry you through the most difficult times in your own life, right? When, when things get tough, when, when you feel like you've hit a wall, vision will help you to pick up and keep fighting, right? But if you don't have a lack of vision, if you don't know why all of that stuff is going on, and, and, and why you have a reason to get out of bed in the next morning, you will just fall flat. Vision will help push you forward. Hope rises up within us when we get vision for our lives. Uh, Viktor Frankl said this in Man's Search for Meaning. He says, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. Now, this is a man that was in Nazi concentration camps, tortured. Unspeakable things happened to this person. That's coming from him. Stephen Covey famously wrote this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Have anybody read it? Yeah, it is so helpful, a super helpful book, really informative and also very boring. Um, 
It was a really hard read. I did not, I did not love reading his work, but it was super helpful and super informative. Uh, Brittany said that she read <laughs> the teen version of it like many years ago, and uh, it was written by his son, I guess, and she said, oh, no, are you kidding me? That was a fantastic book. And I'm like, well, I'm picking up the teen copy next time because that was, that was a struggle. But anyways, his principles are incredible. Habit number two that Stephen Covey says, habit number two is begin with the end in mind. That's all about vision, you guys. When we begin with the end in mind, it's taking vision for our life, what could be, what isn't cur- we're currently experiencing right now, and what could be in the future. And that's how we start. That's how we move forward. That's how we push through every situation. And look, when difficult times come up, it's not that we, we're just happy all the time. Well, I'm on a vision for God. Everything is good, even though, oh my goodness, I'm encountering all this difficulty. No, no, it's not, it's not about that. It's that vision picks you back up, gets you out of bed in the morning, and keeps fighting. We need vision. We desperately need vision. God has good things planned for you. You have to be able to see that. Like, we're all blind spiritually at some, in, on some level, and we need our spiritual eyes opened up to see that God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of you here this morning. Not just the guys that are up on stage leading in worship or speaking or holding a position of authority in the church. No, every single one of you has a God-given plan. God determined it before you were ever born, before you ever took your first breath. He had a plan and a purpose laid out for you. He has meaning for your life. And some of you have been struggling with meaninglessness, but God wants to fill you with fresh vision this morning. In Jesus' name, come on. So look, we can be sad We can hit hard times, but God's vision of our lives for the future will carry us through. And I started saying there was a royal proclamation that went out in Ezra and in Nehemiah. It went out three times. There's one that went out that's applicable for us today, right now in this church. Jesus started a building project. He started the greatest building project of all, the church. And it's not about a building or buildings. It's about people. It's about the family of God coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And you, every single one of you, me, all of us together, have been called to that building project. We've been called to take action today. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 to 18, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, but you, who do you say I am, Jesus asked. Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which, everybody say this, I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Church, we're the foundation The foundation is the revelation of who Jesus is, the son of the living God, the one true, the only Messiah, the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. On that foundation, he builds us together, the family of God. Let's look again. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in Passion Translation again, he said, And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem through Judea, the distant provinces, and even the remotest places on earth. That's you. Matthew 28, 19, verse 20, just in case you need another one. Now go 
in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even till the completion of the age. Jesus is on a building project and he's called every single one of us to roll up our sleeves and take some action. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. A royal proclamation has gone out. And when I hear things like this, and when I hear Pastor Lauren get up and he's talking about, let's pray for six months together. Let's build the church. Let's see God do amazing things in our city. I can't help but get fired up about that. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, God, what's my role to play in this? I can pray. Darn right I can pray. Come on, who can't pray? We spend more time talking about ourselves over ridiculous things. That, you know, the, the latest iPhone, we're watching YouTube videos and we're going down the rabbit hole. You can't take a couple minutes out a day and just pray that God would radically impact and transform a city. Come on, you have a role to play this season in this church. The creator of the, the universe does know exactly what you're going through right now. Because some of you are feeling discouraged and you're feeling like, yes, I hear you, I get that, but you don't know what I'm up against. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what's happened in my life recently. I don't. You're right, 100%. My next point is all about that. Everything that God calls us to, there will be an opposition, right? What happens next in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, again, in each of these three stories, is something that we all regularly face, and that's opposition. So let's go back to Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. It says the local residents, so the building project has started. They're in Jerusalem. They're building the temple. And it says the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. So for for whatever reason, well, there's some specific reasons. I'm not going to get into that. But these people that lived in the land, that remained in the land, they're frustrated that they're building this temple. And so they... They discourage them, they frighten the people to keep them from their work because they don't want to see the job done. It says they bribed agents to work against them and frustrated their plans. And it went on during all these kings. Uh, Later, uh, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. So what's going on is these people have started this building project for God and things are going well. You're riding high on that wave of emotions, excitement. Yes, we're doing this incredible thing. I can't imagine what that would have felt like for, for them in that particular time. And all of a sudden, this strong opposition comes and totally threatens to derail them. That's the timeless truth, is that every single time that we start moving forward the plans of God, there was always going to be resistance. There's always going to be an opposition. And that's why he highlights it over and over again. You guys are going to do a building project. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be opposition. That's okay right? It's actually a normal part of life. We encounter it super regularly. If you're struggling with opposition, if you're struggling with resistance, if you're struggling with circumstances this morning, the message is that you are going to overcome those circumstances. You're going to overcome the situations that you're facing. And which is hard to believe because sometimes I look at the world and I look, it's getting darker out there, it's getting worse Madness is happening. I mentioned this the last time I preached. I heard Cardi B giving political advice, and I wanted to just, like, never look at YouTube again, never look at Instagram again. I'm like, Cardi B and people, like, 20 million people liked what she had to say. Like, are you kidding me? It was just, ah. And, hey, for Cardi B fans out there, great music, you know. It's totally, it's, uh, but it's crazy out there, right? And, And honestly, I'm speaking to you from a place this morning of, 
Like, I've, I've actually gone through one of the most difficult times in my life in the last month. Over the summer, we, uh, we always go to the Okanagan. That's where I'm from. My grandma lives in Penticton. Uh, we, that's just part of our regular summer routine. Get out to a place that's actually got nice weather, away from Calgary, and uh, beaches and lakes, and my grandma lives there, and it's fantastic. And, and on our road trip this year, we had some semi-major car troubles. Right before, right before we left, my grandma fell and, and broke her hip in two places, her leg in two places. She had to have major surgery uh, at the very beginning of August. She had three rods put in her leg. Just before we got there, it was kind of like, oh man, that is, that's really tough. And so we're visiting grandma. After we've been there for a couple of days, she gets released out of hospital and we're trying to help her transition back into life. And she's 85, just turned 85 this year. And we're realizing, oh, grandma, I don't think you're going to be able to live in your home anymore on your own. I think you're going to need a little bit of help, a little bit of assistance. And going through that with somebody that you love and you care about is, is really, really difficult. You know, help, having them realize that they're going to lose an aspect of their freedom, a major aspect of their freedom is so, so difficult. You know, and, and uh, a lot of you don't know me that well, but my grandma and I are very, very close. My grandparents helped raise me. Uh, I, I never met my biological father. He took off on my mom and I and abandoned us when I was six months old. And so my mom moved in, moved us in with my grandparents. And, and when my mom started going back to work, my grandparents just took care of me all the time. So I was super, super close. My grandma is like my second mom. And my grandpa died almost 10 years ago, just really, really suddenly unexpected. And it was just a total shock to the system. It was just a total blow. It was crushing. And so watching my grandma go through something really difficult this summer, I, it's, it's not just, ah, oh, that sucks for you, you know. But it's like my mom is going through this, and it's so painful, and it's really, really hard. So we were out there visiting. We're having a great time, transitioning her, getting, getting her mentally prepared to leave her home. We leave the Okanagan, come back. Less than a week later, we get a phone call from my mom. Grandma's now been diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. And, uh, man, that one just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I, I, we just went through something incredibly difficult with her. And now this, plus like 30 other like weird little things that have been very frustrating on their own. And then this. And the doctors have been a real treat throughout this process too. You know, they basically said to her, hey, listen, you are going to start suffering horribly very, very soon. It's going to be awful. And there is no hope of you getting better. No hope. It's not even worth trying treatment. Hearing that, I, it's, not even hap, it's not even happening to me. It's happening to her. But hearing, hearing doctors talk like that, oh, there's no hope of getting better. And actually, your best bet is doctor-assisted suicide. That's literally the conversation. And so when I hear this, I go, <sighs> it's tough because Brittany and I feel like we're part of this building project right now in the church. And as we're moving into the fall, fall is always such an exciting time because we're about to launch the youth and young adult programs for the fall. We've got awesome teams. We're trying to like, we're trying to cast out vision for the next year. We're trying to launch in such an exciting way. And this happens. We turn around, we get back in the car and we head back out. And, 
and we've had to miss meetings, and we've had to, you know, cancel a worship service for the youth and young adults. You know, we've, we've had planning meetings and vision meetings, and I've had staff meetings that I've missed, and all this kind of stuff, and it feels like I'm on this building project, and yet all of this resistance is coming up against me. And it, and it's, it feels like it's just, it's just a personal attack, even though I know it's happening to her, and it's just like these things do happen. But it's just like, really, the timing of it, not that there would ever be a good timing, but the timing of it right now, really? Come on. Like, we're just, oh, do you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm getting to the place where I'm like, I've had it. I've had it. It's not just with my grandma. It's like all these other little situations that are trying to derail me. There's never a good time. But in these moments when you feel like you're beaten down, when you feel like you're worn down, the only way that you can kind of pick yourself up is if you have a vision that's going to carry you through seasons of opposition. I'm not going to lie, there's been times where I feel like, no, I just want to quit because I can't handle it right now. I can't handle all the emotional stress. I can't handle kind of falling short in this area while I'm also trying to deal with the eventuality that my grandma's not going to be here in a few short weeks, that's, they're like, yeah, it's less than a month away and this is going to happen. So we've had to change plans. We've had to change plans. We've had to adjust our schedule. But something has been rising up within me, just helping me, push me forward, like God is not done with me yet. No matter the outcome of this situation, God's not done with me yet. He has a plan for me. He's got a building project for me that I'm taking part of. It's not over yet. I might have to adjust my plans in the short term, but in the long term, there's going to be victory. In the long term, we're going to overcome every single opposition, every single thing that's coming against us. And that's the message for the church this morning as well, that no matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulty you're in, some of you have got it way worse than I do. It's not, even a, it's not an issue of comparison. If you're thinking, oh, like, I've only got this little thing. No, it's a big deal, whatever it is that you're going through. And I'm not standing up here Look, poor me. No, no, no. I'm standing up here to tell you that no matter what's coming against you, you are going to be victorious. If you anchor yourself in the word of God, if you anchor yourself in prayer, if you anchor yourself in the church, if you anchor yourself to a vision, it will carry you through the most difficult times of your life. Pressing into God has been the only thing that I've known what to do. The only thing. I wanted to run away. I wanted to hide. But I go, no, you know what? That's actually not going to help me. So I've just been pressing into God. I've just been pressing into God. And as I was away in the Okanagan, we were spending really intentional time in the Word and praying every morning and praying throughout the day. And I came across this scripture in John chapter 16, verse 33. And it's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, And everything I've taught you is so that peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. Great confidence. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. Isn't that the truth? But you must be courageous, for I have conquered. Another version says, overcome the world. Just before Jesus willingly goes to the cross to suffer and die for the sins of the world, he says this, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's it. And he knew what's about to happen. And he knew that he was going to suffer and be tortured and nailed to the cross and die he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And because he had a vision of each and every one of you saved by grace through faith. And that carried him through the most difficult moments of his life. 
I can't quit. God's called me to a building project. You can't quit. God has called you to a building project. He's called you to be a part of this church. He's called you to take hold of vision and run with it. He's stirring up fire and passion. I want everyone to say, I'm an overcomer. Can I get the band back up? And that's it. That's my, that's my last point, is that victory is coming. Each time in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, the opposition comes, but victory comes. And I feel like that's just the word for me personally this morning and throughout this month, is that victory is coming. Oppression will cease. The enemy will be defeated. Victory is coming. And I feel like God wants to say, don't lose hope. Whatever you're facing, whatever situation you're in, don't lose hope. Victory is coming. How do I know that? Because the greatest battle has already been won. It's already been won when Jesus hung on that cross for us. We can have hope. I, I have hope in this situation, in this season. I can have hope because I put my trust in the person who is hope. When I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, hope will rise up within me. Vision will rise up within me. Passion will rise up within me. Hope has a name, and it's Jesus Christ, you guys. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Through all life's struggles and pains, he has never abandoned you. He has never left you alone. He has never forsaken you. He's never forgotten about you. He's never turned his back on you. Even if you felt like you've been alone, he has been closer than your closest friend. He's been right next to you through every situation. He's never going to leave you. Don't lose hope. Even if we stumble, even if we feel like we've failed in some way, even if we felt like I screwed up and my destiny is lost, it hasn't. You're not a failure. You haven't lost it. He's never left you. If Christ is in us, we have the assurance of the greatest victory of all, that not even death will be the end of our story. How amazing is that? My grandma was a believer. Just besides myself, the only one in our family. And we would talk about God all the time. And the only reason that I have strength to press on, to be up here this morning and, and, and just share this message with you is because I've, I'm anchoring myself in God. I'm anchoring myself in the fact that, that there's something greater beyond. Yesterday morning when I got off work, my mom called me and, and grandma passed away during the night while I was at work. And this is yesterday morning. I'm like, really, the timing of this, God, <laughs> preaching on Sunday. That's... But the only thing, like I said, that keeps me going is that I, I see a vision of the future. I see a vision of the church rising up. I see a vision of people taking hold of their God-given purpose and vision for their lives. The greatest victory of all you guys was won on the cross. Not even death can hold us back. Grandma may be gone, but she's not really gone. That's not the end of her story. And that's the incredible news that no matter what you're facing, even if it's death that it comes to, that's not the end of it. Would you stand with me?
Jesus overcame every hopeless situation on the cross. The greatest one was death. Not even death can hold him. If he can conquer the grave, he can conquer any situation that you're facing right now. If Christ is in you, you can be an overcomer in any situation. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Today, if you open up your heart to receive him, he will be for you the hope of health if you're sick. The hope of heaven if you feel like you've been living in hell. The hope of financial well-being if you're experiencing poverty. The hope of justice if you've been wrong. The hope of honor if you've been humiliated. The hope of progress if you've been set back. The hope of friends if you've been betrayed or forsaken. The hope of fullness if you're feeling empty. The hope of recovery if you've lost everything. The hope of a child if you're barren. The hope of a job if you're unemployed. The hope of a house if you're homeless. The hope of joy if you're sad. The hope of peace if you're angry. The hope of friends when you're alone. The hope of a future when you have no hope. He's the hope of victory in every oppression, in every situation. The hope of life after death. His name is Jesus. And he is the light of the world. He is the hope of the church and he is the hope of the world he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will never turn your back on you you will never be alone and this morning just as the band leads us into worship i just want you to close your eyes whatever situation that you're going through right now just pour it out to him whatever opposition you're facing and i know it's great even the small even the big it feels huge it doesn't matter just pour it out to him right now, just as we worship him, just for the next few moments. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.